focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have Kwon Soa and Son Bogyoung. Guys, welkom back. And Bogyoung, welkom back. Hi. After two Good weeks. Evening. After two weeks, my goodness. Uh, of course, the situation, right? Uh, Certainly grim with all these uh, COVID numbers uh, here. But uh, we're going to start things off with North Korea. We've been talking a lot about North Korea. Uh, and when we do talk about North Korea, the very person who's been very vocal, she's not afraid to express her uh, feelings here. We're talking about Kim Yo-jung, the sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, uh, who strongly rejected South Korean President Yoon suk yeol uh, North Korea roadmap, uh, so-called the the audacious initiative or the audacious plan, uh, which was unveiled during his Liberation Day speech earlier in the week. So, uh, so uh, let's start us off with Kim's latest remarks here. Right, Kim Yo Jong, uh, one of the highest-ranked officials in her brother Kim Jong Un's regime, has openly rejected and denounced President Yoon Suk Yeol's offer that he made on Monday during his congratulatory message on National Liberation Day. He had proposed an audacious plan, as you mentioned, SJ, offering phased economic assistance if the North begins denuclearization. In what was the first time a senior North Korean official directly commented on Yoon's remarks, Kim did not hold back in condemning the offer itself, as well as uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol calling him by his name without title even, and uh, the North's official Korean Central News Agency cited her as calling the Yoon administration's North Korea roadmap absurd, and she also accused it of being nothing more than a recycled proposal that Pyongyang long ago had rejected. Uh, there she was referring to the so-called Vision 3000, denuclearization and openness. Some call it opening. It mm. depends on how they um, translate, translate it. Right? Yeah. Uh, however, this is an initiative uh, by the former Lee Myung-bak administration, which of course was also a conservative government more than a decade ago, which tried to encourage Pyongyang to abandon its nuclear program in exchange for tangible benefits. President Yoon on Monday laid out plans uh, aiming at supporting the impoverished North develop its economy if it takes denuclearization steps. Now, the KCNA quoted Kim as saying, no one barters its destiny for corn cake, hinting the North has no interest in giving up its nuclear ambitions. Kim also said, regardless of South Korea's North Korea policy, the North Korean regime does not like Yoon seok And uh, as childish as it may sound, the wordings were actually we don't like Yoon seok himself, uh, pleading um, not having to live in awareness of each other. And uh, with that, she also made clear that the North does not want to sit face-to-face with Yoon, stressing his bold plan won't work even if he knocks on the door. Uh, in the quite extensive commentary, Kim also referred to the, quote, dirty waste sent from the South, which uh, with which she meant anti-Pyongyang leaflets by activist groups in the South. Now, recently, right. the North had actually blamed those for the outbreak of COVID-19 in North Korea. Uh, she also denounced the joint South Korea-U.S. military exercises, the Utsi Freedom Shield, that kicks off next week. Yeah, um, just, you know, putting it out there, but uh, with North Korea, they make these uh, very harsh rhetorics, uh, harsh statements about South Korea. I mean, some of the words that they use, I don't know where their vocabulary comes from, like uh, destiny. No one barters his destiny for corn cake. That's that's an interesting one. But I mean, th- this was pretty harsh, right? We just don't like 
Yoon Seok-yeol himself. And uh, it's depending on your. It's interesting you mentioned the title, right? That if I guess the relations are okay, they'll use like you know president. Mm. That's like a high honor. I mean, although that's like the title, but just not using the president title uh, really just shows where North Korea kind of stands uh, on this. But mm. None of you guys really did expect North Korea to kind of accept the audacious no. initiative, right? I mentioned this over and over again on the program, but, you know, accepting for North Korea to accept such plan is their acceptance that they're doing a bad job. Like they need help, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Kim regime does not want to say we're doing a bad job. We need help from South Korea. So this is obviously not going to work out. Mm. I, I just want to quickly mention, though, yeah. in uh, that commentary, it was also interesting that Kim Yo-jong actually also uh, slightly mentioned the former Moon Jae-in administration. So it really seemed like Pyongyang is not in a really good mood because it mentioned when she was referring to Moon, she was also not complimenting the former administration. Yeah, she, she, but then the thing is, mm. like with Kim Yo-jong, she's never really said anything positive. Remember how we were talking about how, like, oh, Kim, there were some times, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was rare times, right? Mm. Because there is, there's, it's always been kind of like Kim Jong Un, Kim Yo-jong. They play the good cop, bad cop thing. Whereas like Kim Jong Un seems to be saying things that are maybe a little bit hopeful. Mm. Uh, whereas Kim Yo-jong is not gonna hold back on her, her harsh rhetorics, and so. Um, I can't. I mean, do I think North Korea didn't like the Moon administration? I don't think that's the case. I mean, you, we saw the exchange of the letters, right? Uh, but I think from the very start, uh, because uh, the Yoon administration was going to be more hawkish, although this doesn't look very hawkish, uh, that North Korea wasn't going to like uh, President Yoon Sagyar from the get-go. But uh, it's going to be tough. I guess uh, there's no dialogue, as uh, we've always kind of expected here. Uh, but as a response to all this, uh, we had South Korea's unification minister expressing regret. Uh, what's been the overall response from South Korea, Bogyoung? Right. So during a National Assembly session, South Korea's unification minister, Kwon young has said, that, quote, it is very regrettable that Kim distorted the purpose of the audacious initiative and criticized it with rude and undignified expression. He said that such remarks will not be helpful in building peace on the Korean peninsula. According to Kwon, the government will continue efforts with patience to resume dialogue by persuading the North to do so and putting pressure on it if needed. In a press briefing, the spokesperson of the Unification Ministry also said that North Korea's response was highly regrettable. Such an attitude will not only pose threats on the Korean peninsula, but also bring further isolation and economic hardships to the regime. North Korea should realize that the audacious initiative is directly related to their future. Yeah, I, I don't think North Korea, I mean, I'm sure the, the audacious plan looks nice. But again, it, it's, it puts them in a really bad spot for them to accept. Again, it's, it's accepting the fact that they failed as a regime, a government uh, to their people. Uh, when they're not supposed to look like they failed and they live in a prosperous state. Uh, but obviously, North Korean citizens are going to find out if they do accept this uh, plan. So that's obviously not going to work. Uh, but what's been the response from the presidential office then? Right. So on Friday, the presidential office said that the speech made by Kim Yo-jong, who is the vice department director of the ruling Workers' Party's Central Committee, was highly regrettable and urged North Korea to be more cautious. In a message, the presidential office said it's highly regrettable that Kim Yo-jong mentioned the president's name without the title, distorted the meaning of the audacious initiative, and expressed its intention to keep on delivering its nuclear forces. The office also said there's no change in the position in South Korea's position to pursue denuclearization through the audacious initiative, as well as the development of both countries. 
All right. Uh, of course, in the meantime here, uh, do we know if uh, Park Jin and uh, Anthony Blinken yes, had talks right. in regards so, to this? According to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Foreign Minister Park Jin had a phone conversation today with Anthony Blinken. And both officials also once again expressed regrets about Kim Yo-jong's remarks. And both parties also once again agreed to collaborate on closely to bring North Korea back to the negotiation table. Yeah, I, I, you know, the big question now moving forward is whether or not they're going to come up with a different initiative, right? Something that's going to be more appeasing to the North. And uh, as I've mentioned over and over again, I think the only thing that's going to bring North Korea back to the negotiating table is if they put in uh, any kind of sanctions relief. But with that, that also requires a lot of uh, talks with uh, Washington. You have a lot of these U.S. sanctions. Also, you have the U.N. Security Council sanctions. Uh, and I, I think time is ticking. And I think in North Korea, if they end up waiting and waiting and waiting, and it doesn't happen, they're going to end up... T- you know, testing that nuclear weapon. And of course, everything is off the table from there on. Uh, Another thing that we've been watching very carefully is uh, how the UN administration is going to improve ties uh, with Japan, bilateral ties here. We've talked about how the only thing that's standing in the way uh, is historical issues and more specifically a uh, certain ruling by the Supreme Court. Uh, we did. We were supposed to have a ruling by the Supreme Court expected as early as today on an appeal that Japan's Mitsubishi heavy industry had filed against the lower court's order regarding, of course, the, uh, the compensation for Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor. I believe it's been delayed. Uh, we are not going to get... Uh, the ruling just yet, but nevertheless, uh, so what's the latest in regards to this? Right, uh, we were expecting uh, a ruling as early as today uh, because today was actually the kind of due date for yeah, the yeah. Supreme Court to make a decision on an appeal made by Mitsubishi, but it has not delivered a ruling yet this Friday. So let me first give you some uh, background on the issue. The Supreme Court uh, back in 2018 ordered two Japanese companies, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries and Nippon Steel and Sumitomo Metal to compensate victims of forced labor during Japan's colonial rule from 1910 to 1945, and later ordered assets remaining in Korea to be sold off. And Mitsubishi filed against a lower court's order in regards to the assets. So what the company, uh, Japan and Korea, uh, are waiting for is the court's decision, which uh, is expected to lead to kind of anger, frustration from either side, mm-hmm. so depending on how the ruling right, comes right, out. Right, right, right. So if the top court rejects Mitsubishi's appeal, Tokyo may retaliate as it has been stressing that it won't accept a rejection as the Japanese government and companies claim that the forced labor issue has been resolved in a 1965 agreement. However, for many victims, it remains an unsettled issue with no compensation, which is why individuals took this matter into their own hands. So um, without a ruling out today, it looks like the court will make further deliberations with reports uh, now uh, that came out a few minutes ago saying that next month we are, uh, the court may be uh, making a decision. And it is a very sensitive diplomatic issue. And it's probably the current uh, administration's talks with the court that led to this uh, delay because the foreign ministry had submitted an opinion piece to the Supreme Court in uh, relation to the efforts Seoul has been making diplomatically to resolve the forced labor issue uh, with Tokyo. And uh, also Foreign Minister Park Jin uh, meanwhile said that the government would accept the court's decision no matter what the decision is. So that statement earlier was uh, 
taken with some controversy uh, because it, it might seem like the government might not want the top court to reject uh, Mitsubishi's mm. appeal because the current government is trying to improve relations right. with Japan. So, yes, it is a very sensitive issue. I guess we have to wait a few more weeks. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the current government, again, I, I've been seeing this from the very start of the, the UN administration. I mean, there's so many issues at hand. Uh, I don't think it was going to be too tough to improve ties with Washington any further. I mean, that's not the big task. Uh, the other hard thing is, of course, balancing out with, Japan, uh, with uh, China, which I think the UN administration had. No, South Korea and, and Beijing, their ties, mm -hmm. uh, kind of balancing it out with Washington, right? right? Ah. Kind of staying in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been doing a, a pretty good job in that front. But when it comes to Japan, there's so many things that are on in the way. And even if they decide, all right, let's kind of side with Japan, right? Let's, let's kind of hope for uh, a rejection, or I guess, uh, you know, the hope for the appeal, right? And, and Japan actually ends up winning. Uh, and that might improve ties with uh, South Korea and Japan, but that's not going to make the victims very mm -hmm. happy. Uh, at the same time, if they decide they're going to reject the appeal and Japan's not happy, and like you said, it might lead to uh, further retaliation or it just kind of the way that it, was before, right? Uh, you know, during the uh, the Moon administration, when uh, I think uh, bilateral ties were at probably its worst between the two countries. Uh, but there was the other option of the South Korean government just compensating uh, the Korean victims, which led to a massive outcry from the citizens saying, like, man, that's not what it's about, It's right? not just about the money. No, no, yeah. it's not about the money, right? Uh, getting this compensation from the Japanese government or the Japanese uh, uh, companies it's it's symbolic, right? That you're you're getting compensated for the work from that particular company, and it's not from the South Korean government. So I mean, this is really tough. And uh, I guess uh, the government saying that they're going to just uh, hold by what the Supreme Court says. Everything is now uh, all the pressure is on the Supreme Court mm -hmm. here. Uh, let's move on to other issues. Uh, going on to some uh, economic issues this time. Uh, Finance Minister Chu Kyung Ho saying that South Korea will actively reflect national interests in the. Uh, upcoming uh, IPEF negotiations. Uh, let's get the details of this, Pogyang. Right. So at a ministerial meeting held on Friday, Finance Minister Chu kyung said South Korea plans to maximize national interest in the official negotiations of the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF, that will begin from September. Chu said, quote, from the rule-setting stage, it's necessary to reflect South Korea's stance and build multi-layer cooperation networks for resilient supply chains. The government plans to actively take part in IPEF negotiations in four major pillars, including trade, supply chain resilience, green and fair economy, unquote. The government aims to complete its related do domestic procedures in August, including its briefing to the National Assembly. Chu also emphasized that the government will step up economic cooperation with China as well, as this year, August 24th, which is next week, marks the 30th anniversary of establishing official ties with the country. He added that the government will seek ways to deepen cooperation through multiple channels, not only the central government, but also regional governments as well, in areas from culture, public health, economic policies and supply chains, and to ease difficulties of Korean firms doing business in China. Chu also stressed that the government plans to actively cooperate with partner countries, not only China, to preemptively deal with external and internal issues such as climate change and supply chain resilience 
and to build a solid foundation for economic security so that South Korean cutting-edge technologies can be well protected. Yeah, and I think comments like this is uh, an example of how I was saying that uh, I, I know there's been a, it's been a rocky 100-plus uh, days of the UN administration, but one of the things that I think they've been doing a good job is kind of balancing this uh, relations with Washington and uh, in, in Beijing as well. And this is the comment like this, because IPEF was the, the, you know, the economic, the Indo-Pacific economic framework that uh, China was very much upset about, right? But they kind of still mentioned that uh, they're still going to be uh, stepping up their uh, cooperation with China. You know, we have RCEP and things like that. And so trying to make sure that China isn't too upset in regards to this. Uh, but in the meantime, South Korea's economy is uh, expected to slow down. Uh, government assessment looking similar for the uh, third straight month here. So well, you have the details of this. Right. The finance ministry in its monthly economic assessment report from August said it is concerned about an economic slowdown. Uh, this evaluation has been made since June for the third straight month, before which there were hopes stemming from the recovery of the pandemic. According to the report, recovery in export may be limited by downside risks in the global economy and consumer sentiment being affected by high inflation. Uh, in more detail, the U.S. Federal Reserve's rate hikes, China's economic slowdown, and the Ukraine crisis have increased risks. So despite domestic demand having been on a moderate recovery track, according to the Green Book, and uh, despite there having been some improvements in the job market, external conditions keep deteriorating. And this is leading to stagflation concerns, meaning slow growth and simultaneously high inflation. Uh, and consumer prices, in fact, rose 6.3% on-year in July, which was the highest increase in almost 24 years. And due to the recent torrential rains, there are also fears that agriculture sector and in specific crops will have been affected a lot, and that will also have um, lead to some difficulties in the economy for uh, the general public. Uh, if there is one silver lining, international oil prices have dropped, uh, raising expectations that inflation may soon peak. Uh, international grain prices have also been on the decline on the heels of the resumption of exports of Ukrainian grain. The government therefore expects inflation to slow down uh, after Chuseok, uh, South Korea's version of uh, Thanksgiving, uh, in September or October at the latest. In terms of an outlook on exports, an analyst at the finance ministry noted uh, the U.S. economy shrank for two consecutive quarters and China's economy was expected to rebound from the second half of the year due to East COVID-19 regulations, but retail sales and industrial activity figures are performing worse than expected. So this is also uh, all affecting South Korea's output on shipments as well. And the expert added the unit price of semiconductor prices has been falling at a faster pace than predicted, which is why the government will closely watch over the situation to check various impacts on South Korea's exports. I mean, we're hoping the inflation slows down before Chuseok. And so once it hits Chuseok, I mean, Bogyong's already shaking her head. <laughs> like she's already <laughs> thinking about Chuseok and how... <laughs> expensive everything is going to be i i mean that's what everyone's talking about right now mm -hmm. i mean the cry and, and especially because we had that torrential downpour last right. week right and that's also affected 
the prices of agriculture and livestock and things like that. So, I mean, we're kind of hoping things will slow down before Chuzaka. Unfortunately, that's not going to be uh, it. Uh, nevertheless, also, uh, the government will additionally release reserves if there are signs of price and demand hike uh, during the uh, of the uh, the commodity holiday commodities. Uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit more about this, Bulgyang. Right. So, in an emergency vice ministerial meeting held on Friday, Pang Gisan, the first vice finance minister, said that the government will run a team consisting of relevant organizations to check the supply and demand and prices of 20 holiday commodities that are high in demand and to release government reserves if needed. Pang said 65 billion Korean won worth discount coupons will be distributed and retailers will also have their own discount schemes in place to help people get ready for the Chuseok holidays. And several subsidies will be provided starting from today from the government. For instance, emergency support funds will be paid out to newly applied 50,000 households by today. Employment and child subsidies amounting to 2.8 trillion Korean won will also be paid out by the end of August. Emergency employment funds will be provided to special type workers and freelancers by the end of August because Chuseok is, I think, at the beginning of September. So most of the subsidies, grants or refunds that will be paid out by the government will be done before Chuseok. That's right. Uh, but I mean, 65 billion Korean won worth of discount coupons. I remember I was punching that in. That comes out to about uh, 49.5 million U.S. dollars worth of uh, discount coupons. And so uh, hopefully we could get our hands on that. Uh, the Ministry of Interior and Safety will also provide additional support worth 4 billion Korean won for flood damages. Uh, give us the details of that as well. Right. So the Ministry of the Interior and Safety said on Friday that it will provide an additional 4 billion Korean won for flood damages in the affected regions. Last week, the ministry had already provided 6.7 billion Korean won for swift damage recovery, but decided to add another 4 billion Korean won as flood damage expanded across the central regions of the country, making it a total of 10.7 billion Korean won. The special grants will be used to restore damaged roads, remove wreckages, and help flood victims. And this is on another note, but among the flood victims, there is a total of 29 people who are infected with COVID-19 currently. And seven people are in the hospital and 22 are being treated at home. Yeah, just uh, punching some figures once again. Four billion Korean won comes out to a little more than uh, three million U.S. dollars. But, uh, I mean, the roads... If you drive, if you've been driving after the torrential rains and you've seen the rains, there's a lot of potholes. And uh, sometimes driving at night after work and you don't see these potholes can certainly mess up your cars. And so that's like one of the first things that they do. Uh, but it's been actually raining a lot uh, in the afternoon today. So hopefully it doesn't really uh, delay any of that stuff as well. Uh, guys, speaking of which, uh, we still have this COVID-19 pandemic that we need to be worried about. And uh, especially because now we have the Chuseok holiday coming up. We were hoping that this year, like it is going to be like the most normal Chuseok in years that we were hoping for. Right. But just kind of looking at uh, some of the COVID-19 numbers, it's going to be uh, a bit concerning here. Uh, we're going to get some updates on the figure, another weekly rise in the cases. Uh, but also what's all the more concerning is the number of uh, deaths being reported at over 80. Uh, so uh, let's get the details of this. Sure. So 138 
5,812 new cases were reported as of 12 a.m. this Friday. That's close to 40,000 fewer cases uh, than yesterday, but it is a rise from around 128,000 on Friday a week ago. It's also the highest Friday figure that we are seeing in 19 weeks. Now, among today's cases, uh, 465 were imported cases. And uh, when it comes to people who are in serious or critical condition, this number is standing at 492 as of uh, 12 a.m. That's 22 more than the day before. And uh, I think recently also the number has been going up to uh, above 500 as well. And uh, as you mentioned, SJ, over 80 people uh, were reported uh, dead uh, on uh, yesterday or as of 12 a.m. That's 83 to be exact. And this number is also 22 more than the day before. And it also represents the highest daily COVID-19 related death toll in 112 days. Uh, health authorities in this situation are saying that uh, with the summer vacation season, infections are not showing any signs of uh, slowing down and vowed the government will do all it can to minimize deaths and serious cases and uh, is also doing its efforts in preparing the medical system so that uh, they can also handle the situation in the case we've got over 300,000 yeah. daily cases. In related news, uh, but I think Pogyong has mentioned this, the number of COVID-19 patients yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, among people that evacuated from the heavy rain has risen to 29 with two additional cases confirmed in Seoul on Thursday. Mm. Let's talk about a very interesting piece of news that came out uh, earlier this morning. I, I think many countries around the world are trying to think of like, a, you know, they're coming out with different phase-out plans, right, measures and so forth. Uh, the U.S. government, or I should say the Biden administration more specifically, uh, they're thinking about not paying for these COVID-19 vaccines, uh, COVID-19 treatments, or even COVID-19 diagnostic tests anymore, and instead kind of transfer into like the, the regular healthcare system is what they're saying. Uh, and there's also some updates in when the BA5 uh, COVID-19 vaccines catering to the BA5 vaccines are going to be released as well. So, Pogan, let's get some updates on that front. Right. So according to Wall Street Journal, the U.S. government is currently mulling over whether or not to shift the burden of paying for the COVID-19 vaccines to the Americans. Now, the background would be the prolonged pandemic putting a heavy burden on the U.S. government's finances. So moving forward, if early it could be this fall, the costs might have to be paid by the insurers or patients themselves. And also regarding the new vaccine, the, the White House also said that a new vaccine for BA5 and other subvariants will be released within a couple of weeks, so probably November-ish. All right. So, man, let, let's talk about this because we, we always say anytime uh, the reason why we look at uh, cases and the way that they deal with in the United States and other parts of the world is because there is a very good chance that uh, we, us here in South Korea, could follow suit as well. And so how we're going to deal with it. So I, I want to kind of uh, talk about. Uh, some of the concerns uh, or some of the things that uh, you want to talk about when it comes to the cutting of free COVID-19 vaccines, treatments, and diagnostic tests. 
and of course how South Korea needs to of course deal with this if this is going to be the case for uh, the country as well so uh, first and foremost uh, start us off uh, about I guess uh, one of the concerns about uh, I guess the United States kind of halting free COVID-19 vaccines treatments and uh, diagnostic tests mm, well on the I mean first of all I'm not really yeah. surprised uh, by this consideration mm. uh, I mean the US is really well known for not having a robust health insurance system <sighs> like some other countries you need money to get treated for many illnesses and it costs yeah. a lot in many cases uh, so uh, on the one hand I have my concerns that if the US government stops purchasing COVID-19 vaccines and treatments it will lead to more COVID-19 infections is one concern that I have uh, but on the other hand uh, commercializing these products may not be a bad idea even in terms of the general public's health and this because uh, first of all the costs should not be immense of course for COVID-19 treatment even if it's but that's the problem yeah. is how much can we trust these mm. biopharmaceutical companies where, I mean, their main goal is to make as much money as possible, right? Right. But I was thinking of maybe there could be some positive cooperation between the government and pharmaceutical companies. For instance, uh, maybe the government would make tests free and then treatment should be paid by the people, for instance. Uh, and also, I think one positive thing could be that vaccine makers will be working even faster on uh, making vaccines for uh, these new variants that keep popping up. Uh, because in many cases, I think vaccines were coming out later than we thought regarding the variants and subvariants. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also because the vaccine companies have to make money as well. They can't be producing those every few months or so. Yeah. But if the government stops purchasing those and to the vaccine makers have to do more in uh, commercializing this. Maybe it could, could have some um, positive developments as well, although for the citizens, it means more money out of their own pockets. Uh, but uh, if we uh, maybe Pogyang has her opinion on the U.S. first, and then we can also talk about Korea. Yeah, I, mm. Pogyang, do you have your stance on like what the U.S. is doing? Are you concerned mm. over what uh, the U.S. is, uh, their decision that they're going to be making here? I think it's inevitable that sooner or later the people will have to start paying for their tests and the treatments because, you know, we're seeing from this global inflation, the global economic recession, the governments uh, across the world, they're not really having a good time. The finances are not so good. So they once they will have to stop paying for all the treatments and vaccines going on. And especially for Biden government, it's the same story as well. And so if possible, it could be this fall that the transition could be yeah, made. Yeah. So then it will be the insurers and patients having to pay for their vaccine and treatments and so on. But as we've mentioned in, in the U.S., healthcare is not really something that affordable. So there will be many loopholes. There will be many people who are not who doesn't who don't have insurance coverage. Therefore, will be you know neglected. They won't be treated. They can't afford treatment and vaccines. So then COVID might spread even more. So I think in the U.S., it's a different story from Korea because Korea, we have the national health care system. It's much more affordable. People pay, I think, less than one third of what the, the Americans pay for their insurance. So it's it's easier here. Of course, the Korean government will also have some more uh, financial 
situations as well. So I think uh, both countries have a different story. But in the end, I think uh, governments will have to do this transition sooner or later. But if like South Korea does transition into kind of commercializing and then we have to go into the whole regular healthcare system, like you wouldn't be concerned here in South Korea, right? Not much as if it would be in the U.S. And I think also um, what I want to mention, in in many cases now in Korea at... uh, uh, those hospitals and also the ibinuka, what's uh, ear, nose, and ear, mouth, nose, and yeah. mouth clinics, for instance. In some cases, they do the COVID nineteen test for free these days. Yeah. In many other cases, they don't. They just prescribe you other medicine. Oh, it looks like you've just uh, got. I mean, just recently, I saw a case where uh, a friend uh, had. She thought she has COVID nineteen symptoms, but they. Uh, asked for 50,000 won for a COVID-19 test. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, okay, I, I, maybe it's like, it, it differs it case by case. Yeah, see, so it's, we're already seeing this transition is what I want to say. Okay. In, in many, it's very different depending on where you go. Uh, so I'm also afraid that here in South Korea, we might also have many people who uh, actually have COVID and they won't know right. because they didn't really get tested. And yeah. also already mm-hmm. many people are not testing themselves. And uh, so, yeah, it might really, uh, the COVID-19 virus might really be handled like an endemic in the end if we also commercialize all these uh, COVID-19-related treatments or vaccines or tests. uh, I mean, I was going to say, because my son recently, uh, he had the sniffles and uh, he started, you know, he had the runny nose and he had the cough and he had a mild uh, fever. And so all were like, oh, my goodness, didn't you have COVID already, son? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we took him to the hospital and they gave him a free mm. test because he had the symptoms of it. And uh, luckily, you know, he tested negative and things like that. Uh, but my thing is, I'm not concerned as a person who lives in Korea, pays for the national health care system. Mm. Um uh, if I want to get vaccinated, I'll get vaccinated. I probably won't pay mm. a whole lot. If I want to get tested, I'll just go to my, you know, cross the street and go to, go to the convenience store and buy the uh, the rapid antigen test or something like that. But it's the treatment that's very concerning, mm. right? So here in Korea, I think as long as you have health insurance, and mind you, not everyone has health insurance, but the vast majority of the people do have mm. health insurance. Mm. So if you're getting the treatments here in Korea, it's not going to be it's not going to be cheap, but it's not going to be like super expensive to the point where you have to take out a loan and, uh, you know, tr- in order to live. But in the United States, it's a different story. Mm. There are so many people that don't have insurance, number one. Number two, there are people who have insurance, but it covers the bare minimum. Mm. And I, I don't think people are going to get vaccinated. All right, If they have to pay out of their own money, they're not going to get vaccinated over in the United States. Mm. But it's the treatment that's very concerning. Like, what if you're super sick because you have COVID-19 and you don't have health insurance? Are you going to be turned, you know, turned back and say, no, we can't treat you because you don't have insurance? And even if you do get treated uh, because you're in a critically ill condition right now, how are they going to end up paying for it? It's going to be those who are in the lower income gap that's going to suffer the most. Although others can argue, well, if you have a low uh, income, and this was the case for me, we have uh, what was called the Med- Medicaid or, or or something like that. We have, like it's for low income. We get basically free of charge. Uh, but what about the uh, the undocumented? 
immigrants, right, who don't have any insurance, don't don't have any of that stuff. What's going to happen? None of that is covered. And uh, I, I think it's going to be pretty bad because I don't think this is going to be the last that we're going to be seeing COVID-19, to be honest with you. And it's the treatment that I'm concerned more than anything. It's not the test. It's not the vaccines. Uh, it's the treatment. And it's all going to be much more expensive when this all yeah, becomes yes, commercialized. Yes. So even if because if a government does a contract with the pharmaceutical co- uh, companies, it's much less than when it becomes commercialized. So the treatment, the vaccine, whatever equipments, they will all be much more expensive than now. So that would be a huge issue, not only for the, the U.S., but also in Korea as well overall. And so that's why this transition has to be well orchestrated among the stakeholders like insurers, government, pharmaceutical companies. So all the stakeholders have to be taking part in this transition. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to say I don't I don't think the pharmaceutical companies in the United States are going to give out cheap stuff. And this is the case with like the big thing, people with diabetes. Right. And like you have to get a shot. It's super expensive. Like it's it's not affordable for, you know, normal people unless you have like full-on healthcare system and things like that and we're already seeing one of the negative aspects of you know certain things getting commercialized in the u.s i'm not concerned about the in in south korea uh to be honest with you but uh, in the u.s man this is going to be really bad uh in my opinion that's just my two cents on this Boy, are we lucky to be in Korea, right? Uh, guys, thank you very much for coming in today with your uh, reports and your insights uh, on these issues. I know it's raining hard out there. Uh, please drive safely, and uh, we'll see you guys again next week. Thank you. See you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.